The following program is a podcast1.com production. I'm so glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. You want the opposite of ripoffs? You want deals? Check out ClarkDeals.com and check me out at Clark.com. In a half hour from now, how are we going to get people back to work? There's one area of the economy that we got to face up to, and I got the prescription I believe we need to use. I'm going to talk right now about something that is a continuous issue here on our show, and that's people who've discovered their identity has been swiped. ID theft has been a problem even before it had a name back in the mid-90s when it first came on my radar on our show and has continued to be a thorn in the side of most every company in America, certainly every financial institution, credit card issuer, and then consumers who've been hit by identity theft, particularly full identity theft, where somebody takes over your full identity and buys things as if they're you, gets credit as if they're you, it's a nasty thing. So I put a special emphasis on talking about what things you should do that won't cost you anything to protect yourself as much as you can from things going on in the market, and then things that will cost you a little bit. Think about credit freeze is something that I've talked about that's a way that you lock down your identity for credit purposes. And it's a way that gives you more peace of mind. But you got to pay, depending on the state. Some are free, but others you pay somewhere between 3 and $10 to freeze your credit. There are people who don't want to freeze their credit, but they'd like to know things are okay. Now, in the past, I've talked about Civic, C-I-V-I-C dot com, that offered free credit monitoring. And they are no longer free, as I've heard from any of a number of people who have signed up with Civic based on me talking about it. Civic now is $30 a year for credit monitoring, identity theft insurance, and they have a service that helps you get your credit back under your control, protect your, you know, restore your good name and identity, any of a number of things, but it's not free anymore, 30 bucks a year. It does compare quite favorably to what you pay for so many of the heavily promoted and advertised credit monitoring and credit protection services, doing it at $30 a year where many of those are as much as 15 to $20 a month. But the idea of paying, I'm not excited about that, but so you're paying at a discount. The other alternative is Credit Karma. With Credit Karma, you have free credit monitoring is one of the things you have when you're a Credit Karma member, and they do many of the same things you'd have with a paid credit monitoring service. Uh, I'd say Civic is more thorough with what they provide at 30 bucks a year, but Credit Karma sure gets you in the game for nothing. In addition, I'm amazed how many people pay for copies of their credit reports 
know that you have the right under law, federal law, to a copy of each of your credit reports once each year for free. There's a special federally approved website to go to. It's called annualcreditreport.com. You go to annualcreditreport.com and you go through some personal identifying qualifications so they're sure they're really giving the report to you. And then you have the choice of getting one, two, or all three of your major credit bureau files for free. And this is something I want you to do either on a regular basis, if you're good working with a traditional calendar or an online one, that each four months you go pull one of the three. So since you're only allowed one free each year, so you go get your Equifax, and then four months later get your Experian, and four months after that get your TransUnion, and then you start over and you're never paying to get one of your credit files. And circling back to Credit Karma, and in addition mentioning Credit Sesame, you can see how your score is going for free with either of those. And it won't be your exact FICO score, but it sure give you a good idea, kind of like a report card, a progress report on how you're doing with credit. And now look at your monthly statements from your credit card issuers. I'd say a majority of them now give you your credit score, the FICO they buy, free every month, either on the statement mailed to you or if you sign into your account on their website, you can instantly see your free credit report, your, I'm sorry, your free credit score, and it is available because they're already buying it every month. And finally, some people in the banking business figured out, hey, why don't we just give this to people? We're getting it. We're paying for it anyway. Let's make it a consumer benefit. And then the most unusual of all, Discover, which has a service that you don't have to be a Discover customer. But you, with Discover Card, can go to a special web address, and Discover will let you see your credit score for free. There's no obligation for you to get a Discover credit card. They sure would like it if you do. They probably hit you with solicitations based on you having signed up for the free credit scorecard. The web address is creditscorecard.com. The overriding point I want you to be aware of is that today the information about your credit and the security of your credit is available at your fingertips and almost everything you'd ever need is yours for free. Hi, Jim. (laughs) How are you, Clark? Good, thank you. What's going on, Jim? Well, um, my wife and I are planning on taking our next uh, trip to South Africa this spring. And uh, we were looking for some uh, flights. Uh, we live by a major airport. And we found uh, uh price wasn't that great. But the interesting thing was I looked at another major airport uh, about 10, 12 hours away. And their flight is $500 cheaper. But the interesting part is it goes from there up to my hometown airport and catches the same flight that I would have normally taken for more money out of my airport. I guess my question is, why is that uh, one that's further away and has an extra leg going to be cheaper? And the other question is, 
is there any way I can get the tickets for that and only take the second leg of it from my airport? So I'll deal with the second question first. You can't okay. do that. Can't do that. Because if, right. if you are what they call NS status, no-show status, uh-huh. the airline cancels your entire reservation. Uh, okay, that's what I kind of heard. So if okay. you can do a carry-on, though, you can get the savings mostly by buying a one-way ticket from your home market to where the flight departs from, coming back to your home market and then going on to South Africa. Uh, And then on the way back, when you hit your home market, you just don't take that connecting flight back. But you have to have carry-on baggage only. Otherwise, your bag goes back to where the bargain was. Uh, okay. Okay. So this pattern is happening all over America. In fact, an app called Skip Lagged shows you all the ways you can save money because with the gang of three full fare airlines, American United and Delta, and their fortress hubs around the country, what they're doing is people who live in the fortress hub communities are being charged much, much higher fares than people who live elsewhere where they start a trip, come through that fortress, and go on. So it's not at all unusual for an airfare to be at least twice as much out of a competitive city than it is out of a fortress hub. Yeah, okay. okay. So that's what that's what you're seeing. And okay. it, it is even more evident when you look at flights overseas. And okay. so now there are certain airports that have much cheaper fares for travel overseas than most anywhere else in the country. And New York, which many, many years ago had the best fares to, uh, to most anywhere outside the United States, lost that position for pretty much the last 25 years. Mm. Now it's back. And yeah. fares out of New York are often significantly cheaper than they are out of anywhere else in the eastern half of the country to go overseas. Yeah, I noticed that. I, I checked them out up there, and you're, and you're exactly right. Now, is there a time of year, uh, even out of New York, it might be better for Africa, or is this not really? No, if you find a great deal to Johannesburg, which in the last few years, great deals to Johannesburg from the um, eastern half of the country have been in a range of 900 to 1250 round trip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's the cheap price you found? Yeah, I was about twelve fifty. Oh, okay. Right All right. So that yeah. I mean, you get into that range, and you figure you're talking about some of the longest flight routes in the world. Mm-hmm. When you compare the cost per mile, it's like they're giving it away. I know twelve fifty doesn't seem like they're giving it away. Let me tell you, when you take it on a per mile basis, it's a great deal. And you you said you're returning to South Africa. You've been before. Well. <clears throat> Uh, no, we, we tried to take a, a major trip here. We've never been there, but we're flying into Cape Town to and then coming back from Johannesburg. But uh, most Cape, of the well, I've seen. I'll tell you, yeah. Cape Town is one of my favorite cities I've ever been to in the world. Oh, yeah, it sounds great. I'm looking for Victoria Falls, so we're going to go up and see that. Be That's very nice. careful in South Africa. Don't have mm-hmm. the normal tourist fog mm-hmm. because there is, uh, it's just a fact, there's a lot of crime there. And some of it can, well, a fair amount can be violent. You have to be very, very aware at all times of what's around you. 
and follow closely what you see in the tour guides in the various books and the online sources about strategies to keep yourself safe while you're in south africa and it's unfortunate to have to say that but it's just the way it is but as far as a destination south africa is one of the most beautiful and at the same time tortured places on the planet with a small number of very wealthy people of all races and then a very very large number of extremely poor people and they live side by side practically and that's one of the reasons that huge spread between dirt poor and extremely wealthy i think has a lot to do with possibly why there's so much crime there just be careful it's time for today's clark rageous moment which is so interesting because it concerns a professor at the university of pennsylvania lisa servan who went to work as a teller at a check cashing store and what she found out is so important not in the way you might expect scams ripoffs outrages it's a clark rageous moment Professor Servan went in expecting to find out in full detail why check cashing stores were such a terrible thing for people to go to. All the fees involved for cashing a check, the fees for a money order, fees for fees on top of fees. And what she discovered after four months... That is a commitment. Can you imagine? I can see like somebody going in somewhere and doing it for a couple days or a week to try to get a flavor. But she went all in and spent four months working at one. And she found that the Clark Rage was not the check cashers, that the Clark Rage is the way banks are run now in the United States that people that that were working but didn't have a lot of money found that banks were alien, hostile creatures. And she made some points that were just so valid. And if you're a banker and this is hard for you to listen to, I want you to think about it. She said, yeah, there were all these fees at the check casher, but everybody knew what they were. You came in and it was clear as could be. You wanted to send a money order, it was this. You wanted to cash your check, it was that. Whatever you did there, it was instantly clear to you what you were going to pay. It's something that economists talk about in capitalism, which is transparency. That people want to know, what's it going to cost them? What am I going to get for what I pay? But you think about when you do business with a bank, Everything's a gotcha. Everything's a surprise. And so when I read her story in Business Insider, I was expecting to have more rage about the check cashing industry. But what I was left with, and it's clearly convincing from her arguments, is that the industry that needs to change is the banking business. And it should be something like it is with the online banks. 
if you go look at the website and the online banks, you immediately know what you're going to get, and if you do business with them, if there's something you've got to pay for, what it's going to cost. That's a simple concept, and it's one that your customers are begging for. Think about it, Mr. or Ms. Banker. Why don't you just tell people straight out how you do business with them and what it's going to cost? Because to do anything else is just simply clark Rages. Okay, here are some really surprising car facts for you. In Churchill, Canada, residents leave their cars unlocked. That's in case someone needs to escape a polar bear. It's true. And in Sweden, drivers are required by law to keep their headlights on at all times. Day, night, rain, sunshine, doesn't matter. And now, here's another interesting and actually helpful thing about cars that you might not know. TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for new cars. Their certified dealer network also has an inventory of over 700,000 pre-owned cars nationwide. So whether you're looking for a new or used car, you can get real pricing on actual inventory and a better buying experience through the TrueCar certified dealer network. Oh yeah, here's another fun fact. TrueCar customers can see if they're getting a good or great price before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with their TrueCar certified dealers. So when you're ready to buy that car, new or used, visit TrueCar and enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. I'm so glad to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. On the web, Clark.com, you have a question, Clark.com slash ask. And I want to ask you something. What do you think the secret sauce is that will get people who've dropped out of the workforce in the United States back to work? I know there's a lot of belief. There are some U.S. senators who've introduced a bill that would permanently reduce legal immigration to the United States. Legal, that's people who come here because we said they could come by a massive amount and turn into a trickle the number of people who legally can come to the United States. Their thinking is it would then create employment for people who are not working in the United States. Well, According to a Brookings Institution study, the people who have given up working, who've given up looking for work, are overwhelmingly among men in their prime working years. Men, 25 to 54 years old. When you look at the key years that men are generally at their most productive, It's that 30-year cycle from mid-20s to mid-50s. And of men in that age, what's absolutely shocking is one in six men with a high school diploma are permanently out of the workforce. They're not even thinking about looking for work. Among men in that same age range who dropped out of high school, 
one in four are not even thinking about looking for work. This is, when you talk about a tragedy, this is a tragedy. Because there's a dignity to having purpose in life and having a place to go and feeling productive and serving yourself and serving your family. And we have ended up in a spot in the United States where one in six men with a high school diploma and one in four who don't have a high school diploma have given up completely in the prime of their lives. And we're not going to fix that with restrictions on immigration or trade. We're going to fix that with training and education. Period. That's how you get it done. Because the problem that's occurred is that people have their enthusiasm and self-worth beaten out of them by a job market that moved on. What's required for most jobs now is more than these people currently have to bring to the table. So let's give them what they need so that they can get back in the game, get back working. And these are not soundbite things. They require serious, serious lift to reach the people who have given up. And so a counseling component is going to be required, a community outreach component, to get this massive numbers of millions of men who've given up and instead can make America stronger at the same time they improve their own lives. I am such a believer, and if you've listened to me for any period of time, you know how strong my beliefs are, that we have got to get that connection going with people as lifelong learners. Because the changes that come, you cannot stop them. You are not going to be able to shut down how technology progresses and how change in an era of rapid technology improvement has unintended consequences and side effects that can harm a segment of the population instead of helping a segment of the population. So we need a clear initiative that starts in the states to reach out to the citizens who are no longer participating in economic activity and get them back into it. We want to create more wealth for Americans at all levels and strata of society. We've got to get them into a mode where they can have better skills and earn more money. You know, my producer Joel and I talk a lot about the minimum wage and his strong belief that, by the way, in polling around the country, Republicans, Democrats, independents, they're all in favor of pushing up minimum wages. 
And Joel is one who believes very much in boosting the minimum wage. And my thing is, it feels good to do that, but it doesn't change the underlying issues that have caused problems with employment in the United States and how lucrative that employment is. And it all comes back to training and education. Neil is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Neil. Hey, Clark. How are you, man? Great. Thank you, Neil. Uh, congratulations on finishing college. What did you get your degree in? Biology and chemistry. Oh, you're a brainiac. <laughs> Some would say that. Others wouldn't. No, uh, just accept it. You're just brilliant, and you have to just run with that. Exactly. Because <laughs> okay. the chances I could get a degree in anything like that is less than zero. <laughs> okay. So how can I help you? Now that I've told you that I'm not as smart as you, how can I help you? Right. So, um, you know, my wife and I, we both uh, recently graduated college, and we're working on paying off our student loans. And within the next three years, we want to purchase a home with our new family. We have a little four-month-old son right now. Congratulations. Um, Thank you, sir. So we're currently renting um, in the local area just an apartment. We don't have um, any debt other than the student loans. We've never had credit cards before, never had a mortgage, never had a car loan. You know, we do the Craigslist deal, you know. So my question for you is, what, it, what is the best way to build my credit so that when it comes time for us to purchase a home that we don't run into issues with that? And then more specifically, how can I use credit cards the best way to build credit? Like how many should I open at a time or how do I use them exactly? Just general help in that way. You need two major credit cards each, and I want you each to have your own cards. Okay. So... And they need to be major cards, not store cards. Because of the student loans, you may already have a decent credit score. Okay. You will show a credit history and hopefully a good payment history. And I'd like for both of you to go to a website called creditkarma.com. Okay. And at Credit Karma, you can set up a registration. You'll be able to see what your credit history looks like now from two bureaus out of the three instead of just the one. Mm-hmm. And you'll see if you're in good enough shape to apply for a card. Because one of the things Credit Karma does, they give you all that information for free, and then they'll show you based on your credit profile, these are the cards that would be ones you're likely to be good for. Right. And you don't have to use any of those. It's just it gives you like a one-stop shop to see, take your temperature credit-wise, yeah and go forward with building. On yeah. the student loans for both of you, are your student loans all federal or are some of them, of them private? All of them are federal. They equal about 52 grand. Oh, Come total on. for both of you. Total for both of us. All right. So that'll be you both you both have decent jobs now? She's actually staying at home right now. She got a, a um, education degree. And so we're thinking about having her go back, you know, just get this one year with the the infant you know, with her staying at home with him and then go back to work. And I've got a great job at a, uh, a lab. So for her, for her loans, she can go into, as a recent college graduate, she can go into pay as you earn. Right. And while she's home with your young child, she will be considered to be current without making any payments at all. Right. And then the emphasis would be on you paying on your loans. Right. Because I've been doing, trying to do a, you know, a debt snowball type of deal and 
paying any extra money that I have. We've already chunked off about six grand in six months extra on top of the minimum payments that we've had because I just I want to be done. I want to be totally debt free. Right, but and, but you must also have some savings. Right. You're building up savings at the same time you also extinguish student loan debt on a rapid basis. Not savings other than a thousand dollars as an emergency fund. That's a total. You have a thousand. Yeah, total. All I right, have a thousand. Right. I'd like you to do a Noah's Ark kind of thing, and for every dollar you have extra, uh-huh. for a while at least, till you build up a decent reserve, save fifty cents, pay the other fifty cents towards the, the excess payments you're making on student loans. Okay. Because you're going to need. Not only do you need rainy day money, but you're going to need down payment money for right. when the two of you do decide to pull the trigger and buy a home. Right. So if you if you are methodical about this, get your credit cards and yeah. have that fill out your credit profile, and then you do a good job building up your down payment money and keep working on paying down your student loans. Your debt ratio should be okay, particularly with your career field. Your income level should rise significantly in your first five years on the job. You're going to be in great shape. I think that's absolutely neat. And we have another student loan question here. Same name, really? Are you also named Neil? Uh, Yes, I am. Wow. So you have a situation with student loans you want to run by me. How does yours work? Well, uh, as of this semester, I realized I have a decent surplus actually coming in from my financial aid. I took out about 4500 in subsidized loans for this year, but I ended up having a surplus for the year of about 7800 So I was thinking, since they're subsidized, it made sense to invest them while I was in school because I'm not paying interest on them. Well, you can't invest because investing really requires a five-year or longer window, but you could at the least get the most interest you could on them, which right now is about 1%. Yeah, that's what I was seeing. And that's a, that's a fine strategy if you want to do that. And then you have that money available when your six-month grace period ends. That's right. It's 180 days, isn't it? On, is that true on your loans? When you graduate? I believe that's right. Yeah, so when the 180 days is up, bam, you send the good payment in and pay off a lot of that student loan debt. Okay. And I think that's a a great strategy for you. And you're getting by just on the subsidized loan amount. You don't need any unsubsidized loans at all? No, no, I haven't had to take any yet. That is great. I hope it stays like that through your school years. Shade is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you, Clark? Great, great. You have a beautiful and unusual name, but (laughs) you have found something unusual connected to your name. Tell me about those circumstances. Yeah, Clark. So um, I am a college student um, who recently actually turned down all of my offers to um, start um, a small business. Um, and upon doing research as far as what comes up when I Google my name, because that's what we're taught to do in college, just um, associated with the personal brand, I actually discovered that someone with the same exact name as me, same spelling, everything, um, was wanted for fraud and racketeering. Um, in the same state in which um, I live. And so I was really kind of, as you can imagine, unnerved when 
I read that just because I didn't want that to be affiliated with me, and especially since I have such a unique name, I didn't want it to take away any of my credibility when starting a new business. My wife has an unusual name. Her whole name is an unusual name, (laughs) and she has the same kind of issue you do. There's somebody who my wife's first name could be a a man's name or a woman's name, and Mm -hmm. there's a guy who has been in trouble with the law for violent crimes, has a rap sheet that goes on and on and on. And whenever anybody does a background on my wife, this guy shows up right there. And in her case, thank goodness it's a guy, because at least people realize, oh, that's not the same person if they go far enough. But in your case, you got a, a, a woman who's, cause mischief exactly so uh, you said same first and last name same first and last name and even the way that i spell my first name is unique um and same inflection everything is there any chance there there is a fairly obscure crime but is there any chance that this is somebody who is using your identity when they're arrested and that maybe there is not really another person with your same exact unusually spelled name. Mm-hmm. I don't believe so, just because I did, once I found um, the article, look up my credit and everything, just to make sure that everything was on a straight and narrow. Um, and then also, the, the name that I go by is not my full name, um, and um, or my full first name. And so I don't believe that they're using my identity, just because nothing looks out of place. Um, It's just kind of a coincidence. Okay. So you're looking for some reputation management here. Essentially, yes. And just like with my wife, it's out there. There's really Mm -hmm. nothing you can do in these services that claim you can pay them. Yeah. And they'll take care of this. That is only a temporary fix and a minor one, really. Okay. So you are going to have to create your own story, uh, which you're doing with how you live your life. And someone who's doing background on you, it would be a terrible circumstance if something like that came up and they did not uh, inquire with you. You know, it says you're in the penitentiary. How am I talking to you now or whatever? Mm-hmm. Would it help you if you started using your full name? Would that help you or would that make it worse? Um, I I mean, my, I've just never gone by my full name, um, and it's a lot more difficult to, um, I guess, say. Um, but, I mean, that, that's a thought. I could potentially um, do that. I never thought about that. Because that may be the way that you create some distance between mm-hmm. you and the criminal. Mm-hmm. Isn't it weird because... What the internet does is it creates doubt, suspicion, and an idea that you're somebody you're not, and then you have to clear yourself. That's really not a fair game, is it? Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. 
You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. I'm so glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. When you're looking for deals, ClarkDeals.com. So sometimes the real deal is you feel, I haven't delivered to you. I haven't done the job you expect from me, giving good guidance, good advice. You may feel my opinion is not on the mark. Maybe I need to go back to school in your opinion. And that's why we have Clark Stinks. It's a place at Clark.com where if I made you angry or you feel like I need to be set in a new path, new direction, you can post on Clark Stinks. Others can read what you've said. They can comment on it, agree, disagree. Once a week, our producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares opinions that you have with me and everybody else here on the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. So I'm going to start out talking about that sounder you just heard, that that lovely intro to Clark Stinks that we had a Clark Stinks about last week. Well, I looked and a lot of people responded that they love it. So I think there are mixed opinions out there, but really pretty much everyone who responded to that post does love okay, it. Okay, I got to tell you that my favorite thing about the whole Clark Stinks aura mm-hmm. is people comment about Clark Stinks more than any aspect of our show to me. And... It, it seems to be like a guilty pleasure for people. They'll start giggling and say, I love that thing. I'm, I'm sorry they say those things about you, but I love it. It's Well, you take it like a champ. So here you go. Uh, this is a response to something from last week. Clark, I stink for being too broad in my previous post regarding banks not wanting to lend on older vehicles with low miles. I had the exact same problem with my credit union as I did with a monster mega bank. They didn't want to lend on a t- 2004 to 2010 used vehicle at blue book value and well under 100K miles. In fact, every credit union in my state has unfavorable loan terms for used vehicles and pushes people into 30K plus new car loans. I ended up using Prosper, which had an interest rate within two points of the credit union loan, but at a high origination fee, which I either missed or wasn't disclosed until the end. Just an update there. Yeah. So with the car loans, it is true that a lot of credit unions, their underwriting doesn't allow them to write loans on favorable terms for a car that is more than six years old. And that's a case where the credit unions, even though their interest rates on loans up to six years cars up to six years old, are much lower than they are from the bank, they parallel on underwriting standards. 
Clark stinks for not taking on his audience more politically. Granted, he likes to stay neutral to please, but I sense his true polarized feelings dying to come out. Don't be apprehensive. People just really want to know in what field you stand or in what cow patty you're stepping in. The country needs your fiscally conservative advice more than ever. The office you have always wanted to run for, you hold already. Also, I always wondered if you remember the mini horse that disabled woman bought brought to your Books a Million signing in Ponte Vedra, Florida a few years ago. That was my first and last book signing line. Thanks for all you do, Clark. I've learned so much. I do remember that mini horse. That was funny. I've had a number of people bring, number of service animals people have brought. It's the first time a mini horse. On the politics. Okay, we talk about this a lot, do we not? Right. And we know from... What you have shared repeatedly, you collectively. Not you, the poster. That you want me to be Switzerland. That uh, people, even if you're very engaged politically, if you are very strident politically, there's a time you need some tranquility and that I am to provide that. But on the political thing, yes, there are clearly times I would like to interject my opinion about politics but that's not what you come to me for and because i'm uh someone who has very heavy libertarian leanings all i do is upset people across the political spectrum with my opinions about free enterprise and i remember before it was like a month ago that i waded into why i was so fierce for free trade oh there's a post about that coming up again oh then we let's can talk wait about for that. it then let's wait for that clark in the wide range of odors this one isn't so bad but it is recurring often you talk fall into the trap of the double is that's when you say the word is twice when only one time is required here are three examples from recent podcasts the difference is is that it's known as a fixed a, a known fixed amount there's another one. And the reason is, is that you owning investment real estate can be blah, blah, blah. And they, they list another one, too. So my point is, is that even if you continue with the with the reduplicative copula, I will nevertheless continue listening to your show. Wait, Brad. wait, wait. Say that phrase again. Really? Reduplicative copula. <laughs> I hope I'm saying it right. Or I was going to be a Clark stinks about me. <laughs> And that's from Brad. So, Brad? Mm-hmm. Brad, I don't even see. I said Brad, Brad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't even realize that I'm saying is, is. And so, you know, I talk so slowly and I'm forming my thoughts and I'm doing it on the fly. And so there are times that I repeat myself and don't even realize I'm doing that. So the good news is I don't say uh, er, uh, over and over again like most people do speaking extemporaneously. But if I repeat the same word, I guess that can be just as annoying. By the way, I just want to mention coming up soon, not the next one. I'm going to read the TPP one next. I think my favorite Clark Stink post of all time I'm going to be reading. This one now or not now? No, not yet. Okay, the TPP thing you mentioned. Sadly, like the mass media, I found your commentary to be half-truths and seemingly biased versus fair and balanced logical analysis. Yes, Trump, his administration, and his electorate supporters have denounced the TTP and 
TPP. I know they wrote TTP and advocated for an America First policy. However, Howard, this is where oh. liberals put on their rose colored glasses and fail to mention what else is stated next. America's trade should be renegotiated for fair, fair, fairness or balance. You of all people should understand the need and logic of balanced trade and thus fair. And they they go on at the end of it. With respect to technology stealing jobs, someone has to build the components for a robot, someone again to put it together, and yet another to program and fix the robots. This takes highly skilled and trained people. In a global economy, how do we get technology jobs when we, the U.S., is ranked 24th in education and number two in ignorance? (laughs) Think about it. So very interesting thing there going back to the robotics and – If you listen to me for any period of time, you know that the answer to every question to me is education. Even if the question is, is the weather going to be okay tomorrow? Education. I mean, I'm just so into the idea of being lifelong learners and the importance in an era where technology continues to sweep through just about every facet of our lives, how important education and training have to be for all of us, regardless of what education we came into the workforce with. On the trade thing, I believe that trade has its own corrective aspects to it, that over time, that if there are trade imbalances, they ultimately do balance. Many times it'll be by currency adjustment, but I don't want to run an economics class here Just leave it at this. I have a built-in bias that is fierce about the free movement of goods and controlled movement of people, but movement of people being necessary for economic efficiency around the world. And those are two positions that run very counter to where people's heads are at here in the United States and across Western Europe. Love your show, Clark, but disagree with you on excusing people who get fake credentials so they can take their pets on board flights for free. I know you said it's dishonest and such, but blame the airlines for making the fee so high to travel with a pet. That may be true, but it does not excuse dishonest behavior. It discredits legitimate service animals and makes others really question in their mind whether it's legit or not. Would you condone shoplifting and or blame the supermarket for its high prices? Thanks for listening and for your show, Clark. That is a very thoughtful post, and there needs to be some method of establishing true criteria for when an animal really is a service animal and when the individual has a clear need, medical need, or psychological need for that service animal. Today that doesn't exist, and people are abusing it. Every time I'm in the airport, I see the people that are faking it with the service animals, and... It's not okay, because it does, in fact, mean somebody who really needs that animal is looked at as somebody else who's trying to fake it. Okay. I love this post, but I just realized you might not even think it's clever. Okay. (laughs) Sorry for the buildup. Because I don't have a sense of humor? No. Uh (laughs) Mortgage credit certificate, a Shakespearean sonnet for the fair Clark. 
so clever. When he wrote, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark, the bard was clearly referring to your fetid statement to a caller regarding programs for first-time homebuyers. You told this poor soul, alas, I knew him, that since the housing bust of 2008 and the Great Recession, all the programs for first-time homebuyers have dried up. Oh, Clark, foul cankering rust in the hidden treasure frets, but gold that's put to use more gold begets. Indeed, Clark, you knavish sprite, you should have informed your caller about the mortgage credit certificate. This is an under-advertised program available in many states, which allows first-time homebuyers to receive a dollar-for-dollar credit on their federal taxes for a sizable portion of the mortgage interest they pay. In my case in North Carolina, I qualified for a 30% credit on my mortgage interest, while the remaining 70% continued to provide me the usual mortgage interest tax deduction. That portion for the credit can go as high as 50% if you buy a new home rather than an existing one. This credit is good for the life of the loan, presuming you remain in the house as your primary residence. It has resulted in my case in substantial improvement of my tax returns. The good news, as you know, is that a first-time home buyer is defined as someone who has not paid mortgage on their primary residence for three years and meets certain income restrictions. I own three rental properties, but I still qualified as a first-time home buyer for this program. It's really important to get the word out about the MCC since you must qualify and fill out the paperwork before before you close on your house. Once you own the house at signing, you are technically not a first-time home buyer, so you can't add this credit after the fact. Oh, Clark, your offense is rank. It smells to heaven. But you can clear the air with the silver light of truth and perhaps a spritz of Febreze. As you well know, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Godspeed, sir. Okay, I Isn't love that. Isn't that great? And I will learn about the program because I'm not familiar with it. Okay. Um, passport renewal. This is not exactly a Clark stinks, but it's more likely a government stinks. If our passport is only good for nine and a half years, the last six months doesn't count. Why not make the period of time on a new renewal passport ten and a half years? Why should I have to pay for a new passport when I have six months left and I'm only going to be using it for a 10-day trip? I might use this passport twice in the 10-year span. To me, the p- cost of a passport is expensive. The whole thing with the passport having to be renewed well before it's expired is crazy. And that is not actually a U.S. passport office problem. That is a problem of the fact that so many countries in the world require that the day you enter them, that you have 182 days, 83, whatever it is, left on your passport for it to be valid for entry into their country, which basically makes passports effectively nine-and-a-half-year passports instead of ten. And that is not Clark Smart. I appreciate your posts. If there's something you feel I've done that just bothers you, you feel I'm giving bad guidance, bad advice, bad information, please let me hear from you. Go to Clark.com, go to Clark Stinks, and let me know how I can serve you better. Matt is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matt. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Matt. How can I be of service to you? Well, I, I just had a question about uh, some recent events that I've kind of gone through. And, uh, to give you the backstory, uh, I recently moved from my employer to, to basically the next state over. And in that process, uh, the, my W-2 and a credit card that they issued uh, to me as part of the reload package were both lost in the mail. Yeah. Uh, since then... I locked and actually froze my credit accounts that I heard about from your show. 
but uh, my question is, is there anything else I should be doing? And then I have a follow-up question about the credit score that's currently showing on my credit account. All right. Let's stop for a second and deal with the first part. You have already done the most important remedy you could do with personal information of yours because you think about how powerful a W-2 is in the wrong hands. Yeah. So having frozen your credit, you have eliminated anybody applying for credit as if they're you. What you have not eliminated is if somebody sees a crime of opportunity and they want to file a false tax return as if they're you, they have the info to do that. And that one, there is no fail-safe way for you to prevent or limit from occurring. Okay. The credit card that went lost, that was just, I assume, canceled. Any charges ever take place on it? No, no. It doesn't look like it was ever um, activated, so they just reissued me a new one and canceled that previous one, yeah. Okay, so on your first uh, series of questions, I'd say you can relax easy, except the possibility not probability that someone will file a false tax return okay um with that i actually kind of i was thinking the same thing and i actually filed my taxes right away is am i still at risk for that to potentially come in at least nope not going to happen now okay so once you've filed your return if criminals were to attempt to file as if you're you you beat them to it And just as if a criminal had already filed as if uh, he or she was you, it would would kick your legitimate return out. In this case, an illegitimate return would be the one that would be kicked out. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, thank you. So you're in good shape. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. All right, have a great day. Everybody knows that February is the shortest month of the year. But at Podcast One, we aren't taking any breaks. We've got a boatload of new shows coming your way this month. Like two from Forbes, Under 30, and The List. Or Postmortem with Mick Garris. And Clipcast, the official unofficial podcast of the L.A. Clippers. But we're not done. Still to come this month, The Raven Effect from Pro Wrestler Raven. A little bit of Growing the Dynasty with Jeff and Jessica Robertson. Plus, in upcoming weeks, shows from Kim Zolchak, Dina Tori Spelling, The Retronauts, and many more. To get more details, go to podcastone.com now. Podcastone.com. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. I'm so glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. On the web, Clark.com is where we get it done. You want deals? We got that for you too. ClarkDeals.com. My oldest daughter graduated from college in the teeth of the Great Recession. And finding a job was really, really difficult. And finding a job that required a college degree was even more difficult, which is so weird now with the unemployment rate among college graduates, something like 2.8% or something like that for college graduates right now. But it was it was tough. I mean, anybody who got out of school when things fell apart after the financial scandals and then all the way up to really second half of 2011, things started to get somewhat better and then slowly, steadily better. So my daughter went to work at a veterinary medicine practice, worked for wonderful people at the practice, but was not doing anything that had required her to go to college. She was 
bringing money in so she could put food on the table and pay for a place to live. And when we were still in the rough time with employment, she got wind of an internship and asked if she should do it. And my advice was, go for it. It paid. It was not a lot of money, but it was a paid internship. And you can probably guess what happened next. The paid internship led to a regular job with that employer. And there are many stories like that, forget recessions. Internships, for as far back as I can remember, have been a bridge to regular employment with a company. Some employers squander the opportunity with interns by not giving them anything real to do. And they treat them as flunkies, and they don't let them get their their hooks into anything of real substance, and everybody loses in that case. But a lot of employers really think through giving interns a real opportunity. And there was a story in the Washington Post, among other places, about an intern at Google who was in college doing an internship there, and she came up with an idea, Anna Maria is her name, Anna Maria came up with an idea of a different way for apps to work on Android phones, and as a result, people that use Androids are saving one and a half million gigabytes of data a day collectively. And this intern just on her own, Anna Maria, started working with compression algorithms, which I don't really understand what that does at all, but she was able to take compression algorithms and figure out how to run apps that people downloaded through the compression algorithm and then greatly reduce the drain on your data allotment if you're under a data cap, <clears throat> Verizon customers, you're under a data cap and keep you from getting eaten alive by data overages. An intern did that. A college student did that. Way to go, Anna Maria. And so there's so much here with with when I talk about about getting employers and educational institutions working together. And I am such a strong believer in giving students real-world experience while they're in school. It makes school much more relevant, gives them a resume to start to build, and everybody can win, including the entire world's Android customers which is like 85% of cell phone users. Mimi is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mimi. Hi, Clark. Mimi, you have something crazy that's happened to you. I do indeed. I What's only happened? I wish it could be the real truth. <laughs> okay. I was supposed to get a raise at the beginning of this year, and I did get that raise, but when I saw my pay stub, and it said that I was making $2,308 an hour. 
I knew I wasn't working for the NBA. So, wow. uh, I what twenty three hundred and eight dollars an hour? An hour, yes. That's a good pay rate, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> so you must be now the CEO of the company you work well, for, because that's probably what he or she makes. That probably is what they make. Yeah. But I'm. My question here is, uh, what do I do with the the ramifications? Of all this. They so they actually issued you, you paid by a paper check, or do you have direct deposit? I have direct deposit. And so it, this went straight into my checking account and also into my 401k Ooh. and oh. federal government and oh. social security and all, right. all that. So what should happen in a case like that, ACH rules permit the employer to reverse that. Okay. And to uh, correct the forms, the transmittal forms with the feds and the rest. Mm-hmm. And it, the easiest administrative process would be for the ACH to be reversed, the clerical error to be corrected, and the proper payroll amount to be deposited. Now, if you work for an employer that's not employee-oriented and you can't get the employer to do the reversals, which is what should happen. Mm-hmm. What's more complicated, and but is a potentially acceptable way to do it, is for you to write a check to the employer for the overage for which you've been paid. But they right. will still administratively need to reverse the improper deposits into your 401k and things like that. No matter how you slice it, the employer's human resources or whatever they call it where you work, they're going to have to do some serious clerical manual work to get things reversed and need to be undone. Because it's in the same tax year, that's very easy for them to do. I mean, when I say easy, it's not like it's an administrative nightmare. But it requires somebody to do all the manual transactions. Okay, so, well, one of the things that they had told me was that all I needed to do was to write them a check for the amount that I was was deposited into my checking account. That's not correct. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah, because you have the the things that are that are way wrong with the amount of money that's been paid in to the feds on your account, the amount of money that's been paid into 401k on your account. Those things must be reversed. Mm-hmm. So are you dealing with someone who's just whoever at your place of employment you send an email to or call on the phone who's the person who answers the phone? Well, that's what I've tried. That's where I'm starting. No, you need to deal with somebody who's a a managerial level person Mm -hmm. in payroll. Right. And And you should not be in an adversarial thing. You're not the first person an employer has ever made a uh, computer entry error and paid the wrong amount of money to. Right. It can't be that this is brand new to them. Right. But to the person you talk to on the phone, if they are the person who is the first line who answers the phone, it may be the first time they've ever heard of it and don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. That's why you need to talk to somebody managerial level. Okay. And um, I'm thinking that I should probably write them a letter, certified letter, no. No? No, that that's like, you're like at fighting words with that. 
Oh, okay. So you start off by, uh, you know, just look on your company intranet, find out the name of a manager in that part of human resources, mm-hmm. call him or her, and get the ball rolling to get the proper reversals done of all this. Okay. And call me back if you run into a lot of brick walls, but I doubt you will if you reach somebody at a managerial level. Okay. All I want is for it to be like it never happened. Exactly. (laughs) And again, because it's all in the same calendar year, it's not a hard thing. Okay. Don't let anybody push you around. Not going to happen. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for your help. Sure. Have a great day. And Pat is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Pat. Hi, Clark. Hey, first, let me thank you, Clark, for the many years you served consumers. I really, I mean, to me, this is awesome that I'm on the phone with a man that I deeply respect and admire. Just thank you, thank you. Well, you were so kind to say that, Pat. Thank you for that. You are very welcome. Um, My situation, I have a 90-year-old mother-in-law who uh, is in good health, relatively good health, and a bit sound mind, Um, but... Like many in her generation, her finances are a mystery to her children. Um, and but we suspect there's a probability that she has great credit card debt. Uh, we do know that she has a reverse mortgage, and she has no. Very- yeah, really, I know. Oh, um, yeah. One of her sons begged her not to do it. She did. Um, she is, um, she probably has a private line to, uh, television, home network kind of shopping things. Um, she might be spending more than she has. We don't know. Um, and just want to know what our responsibilities are, um, if her estate is, um, depleted, which we suspect it could be. Okay. So when she's alive... The responsibilities of adult children to an aged parent—that is a—that's um, a family issue right. as to whether you pony up when she passes away. With very rare exceptions that are so rare that I, I don't even bother getting into them, the children have no financial responsibility for the debts of the mom. Okay. See, I was under the impression in 2014 there might have been a change in that. No, there yeah. there have been a small number of states. I don't, that's why I don't even want to get into it. It's such a sure. rare thing. Okay, been a small number of states that have tried to claim against children for the debts of a parent. Okay, but uh-huh. it is again, it is so rare. It it isn't worth mentioning. It is not a normal routine. You know, a child would be responsible if a child jointly had signed for a loan obligation. Right, right. But none of the adult children, to your knowledge, have done anything like that, have they? As far as I know, yeah. I'm I'm sure that's pretty correct. How many Uh, kids are there? Five. So my late father used to say that one parent can take care of ten children, but ten children can't take care of one parent. (laughs) The, The right thing to do is to start doing family conference calls of the five adult children. Right. And... For the five adult children to be on the same page about doing essentially a financial intervention with your mother-in-law. Yes, that's a big, big item. Yes. But it's got to be done. You know, it's an uncomfortable shoe going on the other foot. 
but it's got to happen where the kids need, at this point, the mother who brought them into the world and provided safety and life and food to those kids. Now the kids have to take responsibility for the mom. And no matter how uncomfortable it is, they got to get into their mom's business. And you're a great daughter-in-law being worried about her. So what I would like for you to do is be the facilitator of getting the five kids onto conference calls. It can't be one call. It needs to be an ongoing series of conversations where the five agree on how they're going to help the mom deal with the financial issues. Call me back and let me know how it goes with at least the first conference call. Mike is with us. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hey, Clark. Nice to talk to you. Well, it's good to have you here. How can I be of service? Well, sir, uh, my, my question is, I, I, I teach at a community college, and um, I have a class called Personal Finance, and um, a lot of times when I try to get students interested in investment, they're looking for that perfect vehicle that fits um, their certain case where they don't have any money to invest, or they have very little invest, so the $250 minimum is too much, and I really try to get them in, interested in a Ross, um, but they just can't uh, overcome that hurdle. And I'm looking How about a hundred dollars? Um, that that they could do, I, I would think. Yes, because Charles Schwab, uh, to my surprise, because they have to lose money on these accounts, has been allowing uh, young people to open Roth IRA investment accounts with a hundred dollars or more. Okay. Vanguard's a thousand. A lot of people, as you mentioned, are two fifty. But the Schwab offer was a stunner to me. And so a $100 account is something that would be, that would be more attainable for a lot of people. Yeah, that would work. And, and that really fits into the philosophy of, you know, paying yourself first. And the students can't do that until they overcome that first hurdle. And they delay and delay and, and, and take years off their um, um, accumulated earnings. You know, with community college students, a lot of times they're on really, really tight family budgets. And so something that I recommend may not work for them, but I do something that I call the mommy-daddy match, that my kids, if they save money that they make from a job, I match it dollar for dollar to help them. And I don't know if, if any of your students come from families where a, a parent or aunt or uncle or somebody might be able to help them get over that investment hurdle. Yeah, I think that's a good strategy. And, and the other thing, it's timely because a lot of them, uh, you know, work part-time jobs and they're, they're working paycheck to paycheck, but they also um, do get an income tax return. And I'd like to see them use that windfall, you know, towards some good other than um, just putting it into a savings account temporarily. Mike, I got to tell you, you inspire me. This is just so neat that that you are using your time in the classroom to try to motivate people to do something now in their late teens, early 20s, that will benefit them through a lifetime. I think that's something you should pat yourself on the back for. Thank you, Clark. Appreciate, appreciate everything that you do for everyone, especially me. I follow you every day. 
Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. I'm Mick Garris. When it comes to horror, you might know me as a writer, producer, and director. But I also love making people open up. I'm getting together with the most fascinating people in fright filmmaking. I'm going to pick their brains and find out what they know. But if they've got any secrets they're determined to keep, I have ways of making them talk. Download new episodes of Post Mortem with Mick Garris every other Wednesday at PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them yeah. in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, he never seemed to speak back to you. He was just like, kept themselves to themselves, and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.